you are listening to Life in Lockdown with me, Jasmine Allen. Episode 8, Ayla. So it's Friday the 1st of May and it's just gone 10.30. It's May Day, isn't it? It is May Day, yeah. And hi, that's Ayla, who is Assistant Curate at the Parish Church of St John at Hampstead in London. I'm really excited to speak to you, Ayla, because... Um, you're a friend of mine and you are a priest. Not many people can say that they have a priest as a friend. (laughs) I am happy to be your priest friend. (laughs) Um, The last few weeks, um, it's been more than a few weeks now, we've all been in lockdown in this country Mm -hmm. and um, the church has been one of the, the kind of biggest affected places buildings communities if if you like because they're places that are normally open day in day out and when the government announced lockdown um most if not all churches and cathedrals completely closed to the public um including Ely Cathedral where I live um so I wondered if you wanted to tell us a bit about how that has been as a priest in your community sure first of all beyond anything else it's been really heartbreaking there is a particular kind of um, trauma even that religious communities of many kinds are contending with. And because of the timing for lockdown, it happened around the time of Jewish festivals and Muslim festivals. We're in the middle of Ramadan right now and how they're managing with that has been a pretty complex thing as well, as you may imagine, not being able to gather for iftar and looking ahead to Eid and wondering what that will be like. And for us as Christians, it happened in the days leading up to Holy Week and Easter. And the sheer kind of shock of how quickly everything happened as well, how fast we would have to adapt and with what resources and in what way, when the pastoral component of it is that everyone is grieving a whole variety of losses, which have to do with the, with the fear of sickness and with the fear of death and being able to support people in that grief while experiencing that ourselves as priests, as clergy, has been really complicated for everybody. And also the loss of not being able to gather. Um, Christianity, like many sacred traditions, has a really strong material element. It's so important to be inside these these consecrated spaces together. It's so important to experience communion together, to take the bread and the wine together. It is so important to be able to gather together in a way where we can sing together. And um, singing is one of those big topics right now as uh, conversations start to emerge about what might happen when probably very gradually it's possible for these worshipping communities to return to their buildings. Because if you stand even um, a fair distance away from someone uh, singing, well, how do do you say this? Um, Droplets are dispersed into the air with more vigor than they would be if you were just talking to someone. And so there are risks of um, transmission of this terrifying and dangerous virus involved in just doing what we would do naturally. So it is safest not to gather, even though at the core of our beliefs, it is right to gather. So it's like, it's not right, but yet it's right. And contending with those tensions, especially around worship, has been really, really tough. And how have your parishioners in, in the community uh, responded to that? Mm. Um, there have been a couple of amazing responses. One is that people have wanted to talk to each other more. 
So we've seen a couple of really active and really dynamic WhatsApp groups emerge. And one of them in particular, they're called the Holy Hermits. And the reason for that is that it's a bit like Cockney rhyming slang. The reason for that is that we're known as Hampstead Parish Church, right? Mm -hmm. And we have a toddler group that's met for over a decade. And they are called the Holy Hamsters. Yeah. And so when people went into lockdown, a lot of the older women in our parish who do incredible work in the community and who help absolutely everyone across all the generations to really be involved in community partnerships as well as in Christian life. And those things are totally integrated. They all call themselves the Holy Hermits because of lockdown. And so there they are. And they're sharing pictures of how things are going, of sacred spaces in their home, of what they can see from their window. They're um, sewing PPE together with um, a local group, which the church is now supporting with funding as well as action and showing each other what they're making. And uh, so that's been an important part of, of how life is going, that people want to connect and reach out mm. um, with each other as well as beyond the church. And that people are also really focused on um, pastoral care for one another. There have been a lot of great questions about those in our community, and many communities have a whole lot more. In ours, it's just kind of a handful where um, we have people who are older or who are vulnerable in some way or who simply choose not to, who can't get online. And so being able to connect with them where really it's about post and it's about telephone has been a priority for lots of people, not just the clergy, but all kinds of people who've thought, oh my gosh, how is that woman doing? I'm going to call her up today. So that's been cool. Um, as far as the, the negative and the tougher sides, um, one response has been that people are really yearning if they can't take communion mm. to see it happening. And we weren't sure as clergy in the church about what people actually thought. We were talking um, ourselves about what might be the right thing to do. Churches don't have to do that. The Bishop of London has given us three options. And option one is that you simply, um, as a community, fast from communion. Like this mm -hmm. is a kind of wilderness time and we are all waiting for the day when we can gather together and have communion, at least in some form, together again. So no one does it until everyone can do it, at least in some way. Yeah. And uh, another way of responding that we're allowed to do is to um, live stream communion when it's happening and to set that up. Normally this wouldn't be possible allowed at all, really, to um, set up a way of doing communion that is, you know, as beautiful and as seemly as possible on our own in our homes, because we're not allowed into our churches, uh, really. Um, there's been some guidance about that, which has been very, very strong and deep. So you know, virtually all of us have not been praying in our churches and not been doing that. And so they, you can live broadcast it so that people in your parish and anyone really around the world through the power of the internet can watch this happening. Uh, or you simply tell people, maybe you send out an email to everyone on your parish list saying communion will be happening with the parish on our hearts at this time on this day so that people in the parish have the opportunity to pray at the time that we are praying and to kind of spiritually gather and inhabit that space together. So um, we were curious about how people in the parish were um, feeling about that and how they were responding. And personally, I was very surprised and honestly, because of my own views about the Eucharist, very, um, very moved in a very positive way that a number of people in the parish really wanted that live stream Eucharist, that mm -hmm. communion that was visible to happen. And so that's part of what we've been doing. 
along with some uh, very experimental, at least for us, multimedia live online <laughs> Sunday morning presentations, which have created a whole world of stress. The technological learning curve has been intense, but also created a whole world of ways of connecting where we're learning all the time and we're thinking in new ways about like, how do we bring the choir together into worship that's happening live at 10.45 a.m. on Facebook? What do we, what do, yeah. we do? How can we um, bring voices and faces into that? And so working online with people who've never recorded a video on their laptop before, they're like, <laughs> what? what do I do? And we want as diverse a group as possible to participate in this and to stand up and read or sit down and read just as they would on a Sunday morning. And so we've been going through this list of readers thinking, hey, that woman is a wonderful reader and she loves doing it, but she's never recorded a video on her laptop before. It's worth it to give some simple instructions so she can be helped to do this so that we can see her face and hear her voice. Fantastic. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you a bit about the the online church. Um, I, I mean, I joined in one of the Easter services and, and it, it felt like I was joining into something that was bigger than myself, which is how I often feel when I actually go into a church and attend a service. Oh, that's a good feedback. Thank you. That, 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 but that was really, really nice. Uh, it, it felt kind of normal, even though it was odd because uh you were giving the service actually and it was it was in your house it wasn't in a church but it was very much in my house yeah it was led just like a church service was led there was the the readings the the reflection the the eucharist everything and it was very reassuring actually is it helpful to say a little bit about online worship as well as about what those changes are like yeah yeah i think and, and especially from your perspective yeah well we have um Right now, we have three different forms of online worship going across two platforms. And we put everything that we do onto YouTube so people can watch it at their leisure, really. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a new and exciting thing that the uh, nature of the internet allows us to do. So on a Sunday, right now, our pattern is that 9 o'clock in the morning, one of us, either the vicar, Jeremy Fletcher, or I, will offer live communion from our home. And we're doing that according to the um, Book of Common Prayer, because what we would normally do in church is early-ish in the morning, we would have a traditional, simple Book of Common Prayer service using those wonderful 16th century words from Thomas Cranmer. And then at half past 10, we would gather for a more modern language and much bigger uh, celebration of the Eucharist. So we have two Eucharists a day when all of us are in church. Now we have one. And then we would have what we call a service of the word for half past 10. So we are kind of, you know, working out what that looks like and how we do it. But that's the pattern for the morning. And then, um, and then we have Zoom coffee. And so everyone gathers together on Zoom who wants to. Normally we get around, I don't know, 30, 35 people. And we're trying to see what it would be like if the person on the coffee rota normally, so in a physical church, the person who serves coffee, is that person up to being the... Um, the facilitator for that. And the way that's looked for us so far is that you have the whole grid with everybody there and the person who sort of chairs it in a light touch informal way goes around each person in the grid that they can see and checks in and says, hey, do you want to say anything? How's your week been? How are you? That is so different from what we would normally be doing in a physical gathering in church where people go into their little groups and maybe even their little cliques they talk to the people they want to talk to that they meet probably only that day in the week. And so people are sometimes not as 
um, not as alive to meeting people and welcoming people who they've not really talked to before than we are now. So people are getting to know each other way better now than they might have done before. But the only reason why we're doing that is, um, well, it's twofold. One is that we haven't experimented with Zoom breakout rooms yet where you can gather people in smaller groups, which you can do at random, and that can be interesting. And uh, the other is that if more than one person talks on Zoom, it's horrible. (laughs) Talking over each other is like the worst thing on earth. So in a way, the technological limitations of Zoom have meant that we kind of have to listen to each other. And I think that can only be to the good. Spiritually, emotionally, pastorally, that's exciting. So that happens. And then at five o'clock, we have a Zoom evening prayer. And we give these links to absolutely everyone in our email list. I think, I don't know, I think we have maybe over 200 people on this email list that goes out every week. So whoever wants to come can come. And we have a, a sermon in that slot. But it's really simple. There's no music. And then at 9 p.m. on Sundays, we have Compline, which we've been doing uh, live. So it's been mostly me in my living room. I turn off all the lights. I, uh, I balance a candle on a big stack of novels and set up a tripod and hope that I don't light anything in my living room on fire while I do this thing. And it's a 20 minute service, which is based on some absolutely beautiful medieval plain chant. It works really well by candlelight. It's a great thing. And so that's what happens over the course of a Sunday. So at different points, we have 12 hours, over 12 hours of different forms of worship on different platforms. You can tell from the way that I'm talking about it, that there are parts of it I really love. There are also parts of it that tear my heart up and that really mess with me. And so far, the most painful thing that even talking about it now really troubles me is giving the blessing at the end of our Sunday morning services. We do it for communion and we do Mm -hmm. it at the 1030 service that's, you know, a bit bigger involving different voices. And right at the end, I offer this blessing staring into the camera of my iPhone on a tripod with my husband in the room, who, by the way, is is not Christian. He's so supportive, Um, but he's an atheist, right? So that's really different because I'm kind of doing this for my worshiping community, but with him really close by and paying really close attention because he wants to make sure that the technology is right so that that good communication comes across. And I find it so painful to reach up my arm to offer the the form of the cross while saying the, the Trinitarian prayer of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and to offer that blessing. And every time I just start to cry because I think, I don't know where you are. I don't know how you're feeling today. I don't know what you really need today, how you're feeling God's presence, how you're not feeling God's presence, what your deepest and your most urgent prayers might be. But however you are and wherever you are, God's blessing is here for you. And that's what, in part, being a priest is really about. So it's a combination of the liturgical and the pastoral in this online thing. And the only thing I am really, really communicating as best as I possibly can is what I communicate all the time, all the time, which is like, please trust that God loves you just the way you are, that you are infinitely blessed and infinitely loved all the time. And that this one moment with your priest offering you that is a simple reminder of that constant truth. And if you really need that today or any day, this is, this is part of what priests do and what priests give. It's this gift, but it's a gift that I'm 
offering as best I can in a room with one other person in it, um, who I love dearly. And there's a, a, there's a sense of like loneliness about mm. it because I yearn so much to be together with our community. And I know that everybody does. There's something like really bittersweet about it. It's great to gather in this way. It's the best that we can do. And everybody knows that it's the best that we can do. So there's a kind yeah. of solidarity in that. Uh, and it's also really awful because we make those connections knowing that we actually cannot physically connect. And I feel like that comes together in a really intense intersection in that moment in particular for me. You were saying earlier that normally we would meet people face to face. And uh, I've often said um, to people within and beyond my parish that if I could just meet people for coffee like 70 hours a week, I would. <laughs> I'm a massive extrovert. This is one of the, you're not surprised by this, Jasmine. You've known me for years and years. Like I could talk for days. You don't want me to talk for days. Uh, it's, I, it's great with this program that I can see the clock ticking and I'm like, okay, 18 minutes, 38. And I'm going to have to stop talking eventually because I'm sure you have more questions. But yeah, I love meeting people. I love meeting new people. I love um, discovering someone's story. Everyone has an incredible story to tell. And I love the experience of with gentle care, letting someone know that I'm really paying attention. It's, it's a really um, giant privilege. And that, that's a normal thing for priests to do as well. Some people enjoy it more than others, but to be really there for people is um, a crucial part of our work. So there are lots of ways of being there for people differently now. There are you know, WhatsApp moments with people where you, know, you can really affirm what an amazing family is doing when they take a picture of all of them with their children lighting candles in a window. The families in our church are doing that every Sunday night. And that's a gorgeous thing. And to just send a little message saying, I see this and I affirm it. And I think it's beautiful and you're all amazing. That, that you know, is, is a valid and beautiful um, exchange. Uh, and it, I hope honors that group of people and what they're doing, but it's not nearly the same as seeing in a church even and saying, hey, I saw you do that. That's amazing. You know, all the nuance is gone. Um, Zooming with people occasionally. I had an amazing conversation yesterday with an artist who's a member of our church talking about how he could um, push that creativity even further to really help people to open up visually about what they're experiencing right now in lockdown. And just mm -hmm. being able to like see his face was really nice. It adds a different layer to the email or the phone call or WhatsApp or whatever. So it's meaningful, but of course it's not the same. So I feel the sadness in that. I suspect, though, that because of the frequency of communication, I can email 25 people in a day while getting a bunch of other stuff done, I hope. Um, I wouldn't be able to reach out pastorally to that many people normally. Because sure. normally when you meet someone for coffee, it's like, you know, at least 45 minutes, sometimes over an hour of just being attentive to that person. I miss those extended conversations, but I also know that a quick note saying, how are you doing today, has value right now in a different sort of way. So I'm trying to adapt what I do to what people are kind of letting me know would be helpful for them. And do you know if online you're reaching more people, um, reaching is a, is a horrible word, but you know what I mean. I mean, are more people attending church, being involved in the services than perhaps you would see in the physical building on a Sunday? great question. And uh, the, the truth is um, that we kind of know and we kind of don't know. Mm -hmm. There was a meeting online for uh, all of the curates. So um, I'm a curate, which means that I'm sort of in a three-year apprenticeship 
I was ordained deacon in 2018, and I was ordained priest just a few months ago in summer 2019. And so there are a group of us across those three years who um, meet together normally once a month. And that was one of the conversations we had online just a couple of days ago. And there are a number of people in this group who are saying, you know, I, we've quadrupled our congregation and people are coming to these Zoom meetings or we can watch something happening on Facebook where hundreds of people from all over the world are watching. Um, to be honest, that's not really what we've experienced, at least not with that volume. What we have experienced is that people who wouldn't normally be present in the building for loads of reasons, and you're one of them. You live in Ely. Um, your uh, relationship to church communities might be different from some other people's relationships. And that you were, you were present in that way and you were watching is, is incredibly precious. It's a cool thing that we can do online that we wouldn't be able to do otherwise. I noticed uh, when I celebrated Holy Communion uh, a couple of weeks ago, there were people that I could see who were watching, who are friends and family that I have in British Columbia in Canada. Mm -hmm. And that's like, they're watching at midnight just because the little live pops up and they happen to be wasting time on Facebook. And they're like, oh, hey, that's Ayla. Whoa, she's in a chasuble. Hey, she's in her living room. Oof, that's communion. And they're just watching it. And I have no idea. Here's one thing. Um, numbers, actually, nobody knows for sure. Uh, a view on Facebook is something like three seconds. So someone actually could just be looking at it and being like, eh, no thanks. Do we count that number? I, I don't know. And in church, when we meet physically, when someone pops their head in the door for communion or for choral evensong, because it's, you know, tourists come in, people are curious mm -hmm. in the summer, the doors are open and you can hear this music pouring out of the church. That's all the cool stuff. And so sometimes people come in and they go, hmm, and they stand at the back for maybe a minute or two and they think, okay, yeah, that's cool. Often when the choir is singing, because it's gorgeous, and maybe when the sermon starts, they're like, nah, and they turn around, and that's totally fine. So what we're experiencing is an online version of that. Yeah. And I think that's kind of great, because it's really organic. But what mm. I can't say, um, when I'm in a meeting with lots of other priests, no matter where they are, or what they're doing, is that, you know, our numbers have shot through the roof, and now we have 600 people who are all trying to get into our Zoom evening prayer. No, I think that the vast majority of people who are um, experiencing our online worshiping life, even though it's available to absolutely anyone who might like to come in and participate and get something from it, they're still the same community that we would be seeing and that we would be interacting with regularly on a Sunday. And I think that's okay. I think that opening the doors online as wide as we possibly can is actually a responsibility. It's, I, I think even it's an obligation that we have in one way or another as ministers and as a community as a whole right now. But I'm not like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too focused on the numbers, even though things are changing in an interesting way. Yeah. Do you think that some of that will change in the future and, and have a kind of positive impact? Do you think that when churches can reopen again and people can worship in the buildings again, that there will be more online church alongside that? Mm. I hope so. I think that different forms of worship serve different purposes. I know that in our online church of many kinds, there are people who are joining us who wouldn't normally be able to. And there's been some really good discussion from those who are Christians and experiencing worship in their homes who are also um, differently abled, those for whom coming to church is very difficult for one reason or another, those who are actually pretty 
intimidated or even afraid because of past experiences or because they're just not sure about it to come into a building. It takes courage to like, I remember this from when I wasn't Christian and I was kind of poking my head into churches and wondering what that was about. Or even when I was and I arrived in the UK for the first time, I was 19 years old and wandering around London. It takes courage, even if you kind of know what the format of church is going to be, to show up, to be visible, to not know whether or not anyone is going to talk to you, even if the community says to themselves, oh, we're so friendly. We love welcoming new people. Is that really going to be that person's experience? We don't know. And in our church building, it's a totally gorgeous building. It's so beautiful. It has been crafted with love over many, many centuries. You are a stained glass expert. We have some of the finest arts and crafts in Victorian stained glass. I know I'm an art historian. I know, right? I know what I'm looking at. I'm like, this is nice. And so being able to experience that beauty is a really sacred thing. However, it's not possible if you are in a wheelchair to really come into our building. Sometimes not at all because of the way the doors work. Sometimes if you would you know, come in with some help, uh, the only place to be is either right at the back or right at the front. That wouldn't be comfortable for a lot of people. Sight lines are not great. And so we're thinking now, we've been thinking for months and months about how we make that building more accessible. And so we're thinking about the physical space in a new way because of the way we've been doing online stuff. So that's one thing. And we're also very aware that as the situation starts to shift, whatever post-lockdown might look like, because I think we're all aware it will be gradual and will be challenging in its own ways. How many people do you let into the church when the church is open for worship? I don't know. How do you keep the building and clean? How do you keep Not sure. Them from hugging each other. Yeah, stopping people from embracing them. That's all they want to do. Telling people they can only take communion in a particular way when there's a real sense of longing that's been going on for months and months, especially over Holy Week and Easter. It's going to be so hard. Mm -hmm. And so managing all of that is really on our minds. And I'm sure for all kinds of really good reasons, we will keep aspects of our online life together going and it will bring different people into the worshiping life of the church in a way which I hope is going to be inspiring, helpful, valuable. So I don't think it's a binary where people are like, great, we're worshiping online. Um, these buildings are not important and they're sure. showing us just how unimportant these buildings are. I couldn't disagree with that more actually the church is the people, not the building. That's been a big thing that mm. lots and lots of Christians are saying right now. I would say that those buildings are to the glory of God. They've been offered in lots of different ways as holy places, consecrated um, with love, and they are filled with those generations and generations of prayer. And you step into those buildings and they're precious. Space has an enormous impact on human beings. Anyone comes into a cathedral, no matter their beliefs and things. Wow, we can't discount that now. And I think in a way saying, um, I don't know for sure, I can't know, but saying the church is the people, not the building. It doesn't matter. Online life is actually better or is doing something different. And it's teaching us that our buildings are sometimes a hindrance. All of that is fair enough. But I think in some ways that's a manifestation of the trauma and the pain that we're all facing because we cannot gather together in our buildings, no matter what our theology is. I think we need to have both and we need to be thoughtful and sensitive about all forms of worship that we're engaging in now and before and later. Yeah. And I completely agree with you about the buildings. I mean, it is really a personal sadness to walk the dog every day past Ely Cathedral and to see the doors shut in a way that I've never seen. And, and that hasn't happened since the 17th century, which was the last time the building was closed. Um, so those buildings, uh, hugely important symbols, they, what they stand for is, is really important. 
but you're in London and you have a community of varying ages I imagine and there must be people within your community who've been directly affected um, by this coronavirus and perhaps lost friends and family members and how are you as a parish able to support them um, without having the church building as a meeting place and without being able to provide door-to-door support? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, One thing is that, yes, there have been members of our community who have um, been directly affected in a variety of ways and being able to be in closer touch with them to find out if there's anything that they need, um, if they need more support because they have to stay in their homes for many weeks because they're especially vulnerable. No one will know quite what that means for them until they start to have that experience. To, so to support those who are especially vulnerable, we kind of take our lead from them, but stay in as close touch as we can. Uh, the issue around funerals of grieving and of bereavement is taking a really complex shape that we will only really begin to grasp when some of those restrictions are lifted. The funerals that would normally happen, if you like, are of course still um, continuing, but there are restrictions on how that may look at a crematorium or at the graveside, how many people can be there, um, even you know how long that service can be. And obviously there are restrictions on us all about physical distancing, which when someone has died and when grief is sharp and intense is particularly um, hard to endure. And as priests, to have to bear witness to that difficulty is um, beyond words. It is so painful. And for those who have died from COVID-19 or from anything else, and sometimes from complications relating to COVID-19, we've heard that there are people who are too afraid to go into hospital, even though they really need that treatment. And as a result, they've been dying at home when they wouldn't you know, normally have had to experience something in such a desperate way and they might have actually survived. I don't think that we can really fathom that right now. Mm -hmm. Um, There are really excellent discussions going on in uh, the Diocese of London and no doubt elsewhere about how to move through these unknown experiences of kind of like delayed um, grief or bereavement or aspects of bereavement that might look different. If you have a funeral and only 10 people are allowed to be there, then what does a memorial service, maybe in 18 months' time, with more people, look like when you might have been the the sister of someone who has died and you might have been really close and you just couldn't come to the funeral? How we explore that together pastorally is just uncharted territory. And those of us who have our hearts open to accompanying people in their grief at that turning point between life and death and offering them the hope of the resurrection and the truth of eternal life for all of us. That's what Christians believe. We are in uncharted territory together. Those of us whose hearts are open, we will need to open them even wider. And none of us knows what that will be like. Thank you for for sharing that with us. Um, Finally, I wanted to ask about you. Your job is a big part of who you are. Um, It's more than a job. It's It's a calling. But you're in London. Um, I imagine you're at home, just you and your husband. And are you in a flat or a house? H- how mm. is it? And how are you keeping? Yeah, great question. So it's uh, it's my husband and I in a flat. It's uh, it's a two bedroom flat. The church owns the flat. That's um, 
pretty much almost universal. It's very typical for curates everywhere that the church where um, we serve will own our accommodation. I love this flat. Uh, not everyone would be able to handle this, either in lockdown or otherwise. I think if you had children, this space would be actually impossible. But mm-hmm. because it's just the two of us and a couple of houseplants, um, and my husband works from home, so his study is also our spare room when people come to stay. And gosh, we long for people to come to stay, <laughs> maybe one day, maybe again. And so our living room, which is spacious and bright, which is nice, has been turned into the room where everything happens. I'm sitting at our dining table right now. This is the space where I work. It's the space where we eat. Uh, it's the space where we set up all of the you know, camera, tripod, laptop business for worship on a Sunday morning. It's also the space where we relax. It's the space where we hang our laundry. So every morning when I'm available on Zoom for prayers with our ministry team, I have to make sure that I sit in a place that is kind of not too boundary crossing. And I think all of us are experiencing that. You know, like I try to be consistent with parishioners and with those I work with about what they can see behind me. And technology is an interesting thing too, because as you know, you can get lots of different backgrounds on Zoom and other platforms, but my laptop is too old for that. So it's like, what you see is what you see. And uh, I, I wanna be sure that those boundaries are really careful. We don't have a garden. We don't really have a usable outside space and we're right on a high street. Normally, that's amazing. We're two minutes from a Waitrose, we're five minutes from a tube station and from a really good overground line connection. This is a great place to live, but not right now. Right now, this is a place to live which it has some significant challenges and being able to adapt to those challenges is an important part of how I am moving through this. There are so many privileges that we have right now. I I keep saying along with others that we're all in the same storm, but we're in different boats. Mm. And there are so many people who are suffering right now because they're trying to work from home with children. They're trying to homeschool. How does that work? You know, who are in very small, very cramped accommodation or inadequate accommodation. Those who are homeless or who have precarious experiences in their lives that mean that they would come into our church and seek comfort every day. I wonder all the time, where are they? Are they okay today? And I have no way of knowing. I don't know. And so recognizing that all of us are living in different ways and being able to bring that to the surface for people, to um, gently let people know that if they are living in really lovely accommodation, yes, lockdown is going to be hard no matter where you're living and no matter what you're doing, uh, but that's that's a resource that people can use to keep themselves calm, to exercise safely, to get some vitamin D, whatever that is. And there are others who are going to be struggling with different things and coping in different ways. So to be able to recognize that diversity and the pressures and the impacts that that diversity has is a huge part of um, my prayer life and of how I'm feeling right now. That I, I want us to be more alive to those differences and those impacts than we have ever been as a community and to be able to come together with great sensitivity about that. I think that's so important. And in myself, like spiritually, I have good days and bad days. We have a really good structure. My husband is surprised that we sit down for a proper lunch every day. That's not normal. It's not normal for either of us. And I'm determined to keep those slightly extravagant lunches going. I am determined. And I keep, you know, when I do our shop, we either go physically or occasionally if we've been lucky enough to get a slot, we get delivery. And the other day I was setting stuff up for our delivery and I got like a really nice bottle of scotch and I got some decent chocolate 
and I like forgot to get cheese and other staples because I was just so focused on, on something else. <laughs> and so this kind of COVID-19 brain emerges in all sorts of strange ways. The Bishop of Edmonton, um, Robert Wickham, who is, who's our bishop, uh, Bishop Rob has been really pastorally excellent, actually. And he keeps saying to all of us, go gently, be gentle with others, be gentle with yourselves. And I'm trying to keep that in mind, even though I find that very hard a lot of the time. Yeah. Well, I hope you are being gentle with yourself because you've got a lot on and I just, you're being a real constant, I think, for your community. And, and that's fantastic. But yeah, go gentle on yourself, Ayla. Oh, bless you. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I think um, you've just given us an amazing insight into how things are in your parish. Thank you for the opportunity. And it's just wonderful to hear your voice. It's wonderful to hear your voice. And yours. You take care. Thank you. you too. Thanks. Life in Lockdown was presented, recorded and edited by Jasmine Allen in Ely. The intro and outro music is taken from a song entitled There Will Come a Day by Emma Cooper.